welcome to the fourth official soccer podcast. My name is Boreal Demi, and I'm excited with Suleiman Lassisi that the UCL is finally back, and we also have the Europa League, which actually looks very interesting. And I can't wait to talk about the matches that took place last week and the upcoming matches this week. There are some mouth-watering fixtures that I'm very excited for. Uh, Suleiman, how are you feeling about this? I'm feeling very good. You know, it is the business end of these European competitions and there's just a lot of talking points, a lot of things to unpack and just like you, can't wait to get into it. So talking about the Europa League, Suleiman, um, it seems like, uh, you know, we're, we're in the quarterfinals, which is pretty interesting. And the teams that are in here, uh, for me, a surprise is Wolves. And it's good, good to see a quote-unquote small team in the quarterfinals of a European league. Uh, so I'm on just, just, I don't know how you feel about this, but, but so far in the Europa League, uh, what is the team that you're most excited to watch? Most excited team to watch for me is Wolves, of course. And this is because I watched them through the course of the Premier League season. And if not for the fact that Chelsea actually ruined their season twice in, in the space of one week, they would have actually been playing, guaranteed to play European football one way or the other. But now they have to fight for it. They are a very counter-attacking team, and I am hopeful that they can go through, but I'm not going to hold my breath because the path that they have to get to the final is not an easy one. Yes, you're correct. Uh, I think the two, well, really, I think there are three top teams right now. Actually, you know what? Let's make it four because looking at the fixtures, I see Inter Milan, I see Manchester United, I see Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, and I see, Wol- uh, well, Sevilla, really, um, is the fourth team. And personally, I've never been excited about the Europa League before, uh, but I want to turn attention to a team called Manchester United. And, and the question here I want to ask you is really about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, the, since he started working as the manager of United, he hasn't won a, a trophy for United. And my question to you, given that they have qualified for the Champions League and given that the, the Premier League starts next month, uh, do you think this is a trophy that, that United should go ahead for? And should they, should they even sweat this out or should they just let it go? Definitely sweat it out. I mean, they don't have a Champions League to go after the season. This is all they have. And this will actually crown the season as a, 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 it will be like a coronation of their growth. Like we've seen how they came from very horrible performances to very good performances after COVID. So if they can win the Europa League, I feel like it is going to cement the, the trajectory and say Manchester United are back like they used to be. So I think, I, I don't think there's any reason for them to play with this one. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially United fans, are split with this. I mean, obviously, it would be nice to win a trophy, but I've, I've heard and I've, I've listened to a lot of people say that it will be best for them to just focus on the, on the upcoming uh, season because the Europa League goes all the way, I think, until the 21st of August, which leaves about, I think, three or four weeks, or even less, actually, uh, before the start of the, of the Premier League which means that United may not even be able to start uh, in the Premier League. So, so given that, you know, the, the Premier League, I, I think, is a goal for Manchester, Manchester United next season, uh, meaning they have to definitely finish top four and hopefully finish second at best. Um, 
I don't think this is a good idea for them to, to actually go through with this competition. I mean, well, I'm not going to say that they're going to sell the game, but this is a lot, this is a lot of the things I've been battling with. As if, if I were a coach of a team and I've not won a trophy, I think I'll be under pressure to win the trophy. But I also understand that I have to keep my position, my top four position, because at the end of the day, I am Manchester United. And I have to finish always top four. And even, I would say, go for the, the Premier League trophy. And, and this is something I want to I I ask you. If you're in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's shoes, and it sounds like you are leaning towards you know, going for the Europa League, but given the fact that the Europa League may slow them down, because they, I mean, obviously these players need breaks. They just came off the, the season, what, a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and so you don't expect them to, to go back into the Premier League with the same mentality. They, ha- you know, they have to get some rest. So if you were in his shoes, what would you do? You make a good point. And I was missing this. The fact that the Europa League itself is a backdoor to the Champions League. And Manchester United are already in the Champions League. So accounting for that, I think maybe it might be wise for them to hold back. But as a competitor, I don't think... I would want to hold back. But I think the rational thing to do would be to hold back. I want to add one thing, though. They have the easier path to the final. So they beat Copenhagen. I think that's that's probably going to happen. They're going to play either of Wolves or Sevilla. Those are good teams, but I think it's easier for them to go through that path than for them to play Inter Milan in the semifinals. So personally, I feel like if they field a second-string team, they still have a chance of winning the quarterfinals. And then maybe in the, in the semifinals, they might, they might see what they need to do to negotiate it. But I, I, I agree with you, though. You want to be ready when the Premier League season starts. So it's very, it's very interesting you're saying this because lot, lot, not too long ago, Manchester United were a team that you would write up. I mean, if I, if I remember correctly, before January, you would write this team up as just another team in the Premier League, you know, struggling to finish top six or, or maybe even top ten. Um, but now it's something has, you know, something has really changed them. And to your point about Sevilla, I, first of all, I believe Sevilla actually will win this whole thing. And that's my prediction. Um, but interesting. I, I, and that's just because I've seen them play against Roma and they seem like a team that wants to win this trophy. And, and let's, let's not forget, Sevilla probably has, out of all these teams here, they have the most Europa League trophies. So, so they really No know lie, no lie. Um, um, so so I, 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 for me, personally, they are my favorites to go uh, win this Europa League. Interesting. And I agree with you. Sevilla, when it comes to the Europa League, it's their birthright, basically. But my... Favorite to win it is Inter Milan. And I think it's a little sympathetic because I feel like it's been a lot of investment that has gone into this team. And currently, they have nothing to show for it. If you recall correctly, I might have had them winning the Syria. That didn't happen. So, this is me throwing a redemption opportunity at Inter Milan and saying one, you have the squad to do it. And secondly, you have an easy route because they're going through. Shaka Donetsk or Basel, if they can beat Leverkusen, I feel like they should be in the final. And we can go from there once that happens. So with that being said, Bori, let's talk about the year for Champions League, reviewing the games that happened this past week. And let's start with Real Madrid versus Manchester City. What are your thoughts on the events and the outcome of that game? 
I mean, what a game. Um, I actually didn't watch that game live ju- just because there were, you know, there was the, the Juve game going on and that was the more important, well, a, a more must-see game for me because I, you know, I, you know, as a fan of the Serie A, I have to see Juventus lose. So, so that was very exciting for me to see. But um, um, just looking at the highlights and the extended highlights, I mean, first of all, I've got to call, and I, I'm sure I've mentioned this a few times on the, on the show before, Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, there was one pass he gave Sterling that ended up be, be, becoming offside, but that guy is just a magician. Uh, but, but honestly, like, uh, uh, kudos to, to Real Madrid. I mean, obviously, you could tell that they didn't want to win this game. Like, they didn't care about the game. They, won the, they already won the La Liga, and that honestly was the goal of the season, and that was enough for them. Uh, but really... The, the problem here was with one defender, and that's Baran. Uh, uh, given that Sergio Ramos was suspended for this game, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't there to kind of help, you know, the team from a leadership point of view. So that was kind of sad. But it's really weird to see a defender with such high caliber that's won the World Cup, that's won Champions League, that's won La Liga, to make such mistake to the point that it basically gifts Manchester City uh, the two goals and the, the path to the quarterfinals. Uh, I thought that was, that was what he, it actually boiled down to. I, I, it, it boiled down to two mistakes from a very solid defender who ended up uh, uh, giving the game over to Manchester, Manchester City. What do you feel about the game? I agree with you. Varane basically gave the game away. But I also think that Gabriel Jesus, was he aggressive? He was, he was ready to go. And I think we've talked a lot about how we're going to miss Sergio Aguero. And very well deserved. He has earned every right to be a factor when games like this come around. But what Jesus gave the team on, the, on this past match day, I, I believe that if he can repeat that for the entirety of these games that are left, I think that Manchester City can have a really good chance. Because you know the Sterling's always going to give you the runs and it's always going to be there. But someone like Jesus, who for so long has been has been getting complaints about his finishing, his awareness, and being able to be so aggressive. He basically forced both of those errors. So I'm very happy for him, and I look forward to seeing more of this aggression in the, in the later stages. I do have a question, real question, before we move on from the CT uh, Madrid game. Uh, and the, the one player that I thought was going to shine and, and just open up the game for Real Madrid was um, Eden Hazard. I am very heartbroken because I love Eden Hazard. I think he's a great player. Um, and, and yes, understandably, he had an, an injury this season. Uh, but he's been back. You know, you know we had the, the lockdown for about three months. So, so personally, I thought he was going to be back. Uh, what do you think is going on in his head? Is this, just a, is this just a mentality thing? That's actually, you asked me the question where I feel like Eden Hazard, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit and say, realize the fact that Gareth Bale wasn't on the field. And that, what does that mean? That means that you cannot blame Bale for not playing. Eden Hazard would actually have been better not playing that game because you didn't even notice his presence. That's how bad it is. Now, is this a mentality thing? It's got to be a mentality thing. He, Eden Hazard's a great player. He can change games, turn games on the head and win it for his team. But I haven't seen that at Real Madrid. And I don't know if he knows his place on the team and knows what the team expects of him, but he's just not taking the game by the juggler like he used to do at Chelsea. And that is obvious in his game. 
before before we go on again just one final thing and you brought it up and that's with gareth bale i mean obviously what then said literally was uh well i'm paraphrasing here but he said uh bale said he didn't want to go which i found what was really awkward and, and weird uh, but I mean, obviously, the, the situation with Bill and and Zidane and Ramos as a whole is becoming bitter, and, and it seems like maybe there's an end in sight. Um, I want to put you in the shoes of Gareth Bale, um, and given the money that he's earning, would you do the same? Sixty million over the next two years, would I do the same? I mean, I feel like absolutely I would do the same, but I also think that. The fact that he can say he doesn't want to go and the coach is okay with that. Like you said, there is probably an end in sight. But what it tells me is the, the relationship between him and the coach is as good as deteriorate, deteriorated to the point where he can say he doesn't want to go and the coach is okay with it. So if I'm Garrett Bell, all is kosher. I'm getting paid and the coach is fine with me not coming. So with that being said, I just feel like for sporting reasons, maybe you might need a new team, but if you're going to be paying me that much and you're okay with me not showing up to work, then kudos to you. Yes, I will do exactly the same. And let's move on to the Juve Leon game. Solomon, how beautiful was that game? Well, I want to say this, and I don't know if you like to hear this because you're a Messi fan and everybody knows that, but Ronaldo was exceptional. Other than that, though, we saw a depleted Juve a Juve who had no spine and couldn't stand up for anything. And you see that Leon being a compact team and having nothing to lose was enough to carry them through. I'm happy for Leon, but can't say anything about Juve. They deserve to lose. Yes, let's don't, you know, you mentioned uh, Ronaldo there quickly, and this is something I've been battling with a lot of Juve fans on Twitter and a lot of them are defending him, which I understand. Yes, he's scoring all the goals. I mean, this is his job. That his job is to score goals, and he he's the the front man uh, that they are feeding the, the you know the balls to, so that he can score these goals. Um, but if you you can't, I cannot just get away from the fact that Juventus have less trophies since Ronaldo has been on that team. And you can't tell me that's a coincidence. I'm not saying he's bad. I just think he doesn't fit in that team. And Clearly, that team is not fighting or as strong as Real Madrid is to, to Ronaldo. Because remember, when Ronaldo was playing in Real Madrid, every, every player, Barcelo, Benzema, Bale, they all played. It seemed like they played for, for, for Cristiano Ronaldo. But on this team, it, it's just completely different. I, 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 it's very hard for me to decipher exactly why. I mean, I, my, 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 my guess is, I mean, you know, if it was only if he only played on the Sari, I would think okay, maybe because Sari plays a different style of football, so that doesn't fit the way Ronaldo uh, uh, wants to play. But he also played under Allegri, and he got fired, and, and it's the same situation. But what do you think? I mean, Juve hasn't won too many. Like so, so if you before before Ronaldo was there, they they got to the Champions League finals. I think two in in three years, and yes, they didn't win it, but. What is different between then and now? And given that now is that Ronaldo has been here for what, two years now? And what is the difference? And why, why is Juve even worse than before? That's a good question you ask. And I think the difference actually is back now. The difference is Andrea Piello. And Andrea Piello was on the field when those happened. Now he's going to be on the bench. 
I don't know if the performances are going to be the same, but I think that's the difference. So the fact that they got to the finals, they were playing very good football. It came down to that midfield. Andre Piello, Paul Pogba, Claudio Marchisio, and all of them. They were the spine of that team. They don't have that now. And I'm not going to blame Ronaldo for that. I am not a Ronaldo fan. I could care less about what he does. But if you hire a guy to score goals, that's what he goes out there and does. He scores goals. So his job is done. Who do you point at for them not getting where they want to be? That is the coach's fault. He gets paid to make those, to make those decisions. But I'm not going to put that down on Ronaldo. Well, I, I understand completely what you're saying. Um, I, again, not saying that Ronaldo is, is a bad player. I just don't think he fits in this, into this team, and I don't think he has the players that he needs to be able to, to win the games because, honestly, these players are not winners. And, and, and this goes back to, you know, this, and you alluded to, to Perlo being the, the, the manager, which was announced, I think, I believe yesterday. Uh, but before we even talk about that strange decision, in my opinion, uh, I want to talk about just the way Agnelli, who is like the sporting director of Juve, has conducted his business since the, you know, for the last three years. And, and the, the reason why I'm saying this is because this kind of reminds me of, you know, close to the, you know, the end of the era of, of Milan, when Milan had aging players and, and when, when a lot of them retired, then we ended up with all these, you know, low, you know, low profile players, players that don't have good history and that kind of led to our downfall i'm not saying juve is going to go down that path but but the, the, to to give our our listeners some, some kind of of background the way agnelli has conducted his business at juve in the last three years is what he does is he gets players that are basically free like rabio ramsey but coming with high wages and this has brought the problem and this is part of probably part of the reason why Perlo was hired because they don't have the money to buy new players. They don't have the money. I mean, if you think about the wage bill of, of Ronaldo, think, think about the wage bill of Ramsey, think about the wage bill of, of Higuain, you know, and, and all the players they have, it, they, that's a very high wage bill. And I mean, obviously they paid the highest wage bill in Syria and that is a problem. And all these players are not, I, I wouldn't say they're not winners, but they, they really are not winners. I mean, they, they, are, they are players that, that you know came from clubs like Arsenal and PSG and, and they won their domestic leagues or they won the FA Cups and, and, and they couldn't win anything outside of, outside of that which which personally is a problem and Ronaldo, you bring you bring in Ronaldo who's won everything basically from from international trophies to to uh, you know club world cups and, and all that all that but but this is a problem that Juve is going to face and I'm, I'm very interested to see in the next few years, what they're going to do, because I think they're going to become like a Milan where they're stuck with players that they don't want, or like an Ozil situation where they're stuck with players that they don't want and they have high wages and no one wants to buy them because A, they're not good, they're getting older and they have a very high, high wage. Now, let's stare back to Pirlo. And personally, I mean, if you really think about this Juve team, they could have gotten uh, Pochettino, they could have gotten Allegri back, there, there are many coaches out there that I think they could have gotten, but they went with Pirlo. And, and you may want to ask, why, why would they go with Pirlo? Well, first of all, I think it's a bad decision that they did that. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but it's a terrible decision to do that because you're basically gambling on the club, on, on, on Pirlo, to basically continue the, the, the Serie A streak and somehow win the, Serie, uh, the, the Champions League, which is, which is really the goal that they, they're going for. Um, but I think if you bring in a coach like Allegri or, 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 
Pochettino, they want to spend money. And obviously, they're not going to have that much to spend. And I think that's the reason. So they, they, I think they didn't have a choice, but I still think they could have done better. I think the best they could have done is actually stuck with Sadi. What do you think, Sulaiman? I agree with you. I think that Prelo's because I think it wasn't long ago that he was appointed as the under-23 manager for the Juventus under-23 team. So promoting him this quick, for me, unless it is, is a stop-gap measure, I don't think it's a long-term strategy. But I also think that, I mean, I actually was talking to some friends and I said, this is Poch's job. This is the ideal job for Poch. But they went with Pielo. So maybe they just want to rebuild. Maybe it's time to eat the rebuild button. And for me, as an AC Milan fan, that suits me well. So I, it's a head scratcher. I don't know why Pele. Yeah, I have no idea either. But um, I, the, the one surprising thing is when you think about Pirlo, I think for me, maybe because I, I'm a Milan fan, I think of AC Milan. And I, I have a feeling, and I, I probably should throw out a poll out there to see what people think. The first thing that comes to your mind when you, when you think Pirlo, at least from a club perspective, you think AC Milan. So it's kind of awkward and weird to see him on, on, on a Juve's uh, top coach job and honestly kind of break my, breaks my heart. But hey, you know, I wish him well. Bori, uh, Bori, I'm actually, I'm actually going to interject a little bit. I did not want to go down that route. I didn't want to, but it's laughable, right? You have somebody who was at Inter Milan, was just a regular guy, and AC Milan took him, groomed him, and made him into this formidable midfielder, won Champions League trophies, won the Serie A, and then Juve got him afterwards. And now he's a Juve legend. It's the same way I feel about Mikel Atera at Arsenal. Like, he played most of his career at Everton, and Arsenal gets him, and now he's coaching Arsenal. So I, I didn't want to go down that route, but it's just laughable that, like, Pelo is coaching Juve, but I'm not going to say much about it, but that's how I feel. Yes, well, let's stop talking about Juventus. And, and hey, got to give props to Leon for holding on. And uh, it, it's incredible that they, they, they held on. I mean, they've not played a game, a, a competitive game, for what, three to four months or, or even more. Um, and, and they were able to shut um, uh, Juve out of the quarterfinals. Uh, let's move on to another team that um, is also questionable for this season, uh, and that's Barcelona. I mean, but, I mean... Well, also Napoli is, is, is questionable. But Barcelona put on a show yesterday and there were some controversies. And I want to start out with asking you um, the penalty that was given uh, between uh, uh, Koulibaly, against Koulibaly and for Messi. Uh, what, what do you think about that penalty? I think it could have gone either way. I think it really could have gone either way. But if I was a referee, I wouldn't have called it a penalty. It could have gone either way. He actually kicked Messi's no doubt about that but also the fact that there he was trying to keep the ball there was no intention there and and this is a team where I feel like you've actually made a wrong call prior to that so there's there's precedence there's context to go by and just say you know what let's just scratch this and just keep playing but it could have gone either way on a neutral day yeah, I thought Barcelona actually didn't play very well yesterday. I, I mean, it just reminded me of the same team, the same old boring team that always tried to find some way to win the games. And this brings me to my question. Do you think they were lucky against Napoli to not concede more goals? And, and how, how do you think they did in general in that game? 
Messi was magisterial in the words of Ray Hudson. He was un unstoppable, untouchable. He scored one of those goals where I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to go back and Google that goal whenever that emotion just comes to mind. He scored a, a wonderful goal. So Messi was in a separate class definitely yesterday. Napoli was nervous. I remember vividly Insigne had an actually Dries Martins had an opportunity for them to go up in the first five minutes and it just blanked it. It just just struck it too hard and it just hit the hit the, the upright. But I feel like after that very early foray into Barcelona's space, it became a little more, they became a little more nervous. They weren't as free-flowing. And Barcelona, were they lucky enough to concede more? No, I don't think so. I think they were the better team. I wanted Napoli to win, but it just looked to me like Barcelona, I get it. They are not the Barcelona of four or five years ago, but they were the superior team and they, they just had enough to, to scare Napoli away. Yeah, I, I share the sentiment. I think the detriment of Barcelona right now, first of all, and I don't know if you logged on Twitter after the game, everyone was slandering Rakitic because he made so many mistakes, uh, passing backwards and, and all that stuff, and also losing the ball. Um, but also the defense is not great, which, uh, you know, I don't know. P I think Piquet is a, a fine defender, but I guess he's getting old and, and pe you know, people think he, he should probably, uh, uh, you know, not defend anymore for 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 Barcelona. Um, I don't know how they're going to do in the next game. And I know we're going to talk about that after we talk about the next game, which is Bayern Munich and Chelsea. Um, I mean, I already knew that this game was, was already done. I, I already knew that Bayern Munich was already going to win this game. I didn't expect them to, to, to score four goals. Um, but, uh, you know, give us your, your feelings about the, this game. I mean, Lewandowski is, is up firing again. What's going on? Chelsea lost to Bayern Munich. I think it's 7-1 aggregate through no faults of Chelsea's. This is just a mismatch. Bayern Munich is a superior team. There was no chance, no way, no how that Chelsea were going to get a result here. So I, nothing to expect there. I didn't even, I watched the highlights afterwards, but I wasn't even expecting anything different. So, and it's also a rebuilding Chelsea team. They've overachieved for the squad that they have. So yeah, Bayern Munich, this was just a, cruise control really and it's good for them it's back back to practice back to high tempo because they have the mouth-watering clash that we're going to talk about afterwards yes i want to take you actually right back to what you said that they are a a rebuilding team um and this is something that a lot of people i've i've kind of criticized Lampard for because yes sure you know they had the transfer ban they had all these players out injured um and, and they have, a, frankly, a, a young team. But if you look at the roster for next season, at least for the guaranteed ones, you know that, you know, um, Zayek is coming in. And you know that uh, Timo Werner is also coming in. So, uh, and, and there's also rumors of, of Kai Havertz. I mean, obviously that's not done, but, but I, you know, let's, let's even say that doesn't even happen. Um, do you think next season that could still be the same excuse that Lampard gives that, hey, this is just a, it's a young team, this is a rebuilding team, or do you think as of next season with all these new players that they are injecting to the team, they should not be making this mistake and they should actually go for trophies next season? That's a good question you asked. I think the excuse of the transfer ban will not be there next season. However, on paper, this is a young team. 
So he can have an excuse and say it's a young team, but he has the liberty to buy whomever he wants, young or old. So unless the fans and the management at Chelsea are satisfied with him getting young players, then it's going to be on him. It's just he's going to be judged by the results that he, he gets at the end of the season. If that includes winning a trophy, great. If that means it crashed out, it's not going to be an excuse of a young team because he could buy whomever he wanted, but he wants a young team philosophy. So he goes for it, and I hope he helps him win something. That is a very uh, fine perspective. And uh, yeah, I think, I think we're done with all the games that happened. Are you ready for the predictions? Sure, man. I, I think this is going to be a, a very interesting week. And I say that because it's a knockout stage right now. Like, you only get one chance. There's no need to prevaricate or just hold back. You go in there and you play to your best. And I say this because we have matchups. Other than the Bayern-Barcelona matchup, that's like two heavyweights, we have matchups where one team is clearly favorite over another in the other three matchups. And it kind of sets up the other team for, for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go at this team, go at the superior team. It's like a David and Goliath. You fight different, you play different, and you go at this superior opponent and you try to get three points or find a way to get through to the next stage. So looking at that, Bori, I want to hear your thoughts on who you think of these three less teams that are playing the superior teams you think has a chance? Well, actually, for me, I think it's definitely the obvious one for me is Atalanta. Um, you know, especially with the fact that we don't have Mbappe. Uh, well, as he's a major doubt, and I, 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 you know, I don't think they will risk him for that game. Um, I think Atalanta has more of a chance. Um, and, and just given what uh, PSG has played in the last two games, I, I think Atalanta definitely has a chance to go ahead um, uh, of uh, Paris Saint-Germain. And that's also the weaker, I say weaker in quotes, but that's the weaker path to the final. So it looks to me like Atalanta upset in PSG. I mean, the sky's the limit at that point, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. So I think, yes, if they do that, I think that's, that's a season. This season is a success to them. They've reached you know, they're going to reach the semifinal if, if they're able to go past PSG. Um, I just think that, you know, if, if, even if they go past PSG, and, and personally, I'm, I think Atletico Madrid is going to go past uh, uh, RB Leipzig. Atletico Madrid is a tough team to play. I don't care if you're an attacking team. I don't care if you're a team that, that fields 10 forwards. They are going to frustrate your life. And that's the only fixture that I'm like, I think – Atletico Madrid is going to go past Atalanta at that point. And honestly, I think that's a very bad fixture. For anybody that has to meet Atletico Madrid, it's a, it's a very bad fixture, no matter how fast or how attacking your team is. And I agree with you. My favorite to win this whole thing is Atletico Madrid. And going back to my, again, this is just me theorizing, but going back to my perspective that this is a one-off competition. Who can hold off for 30 minutes, uh, 90 minutes and then grab a counterattack? Or just leave it to chance and say, you know what? Let's, let's leave it to PKs and see what Jan Black can do and what your goalie can do. So for me, I kind of feel like, and also the fact that in recent times, when I say recent, fairly recent, they've been in, fi in, in a final and they lost. So I, I would love for them to crown this, 
this golden era in their history with a Champions League trophy. And I would love for them to win it. Yeah, I mean, obviously I would love to, for them to win it. But personally, my, my, the team that I want to win it is Atalanta. And I'm actually dreaming of an Atalanta-Barcelona final. I don't know if, if that's going to happen. But let's talk about the, the one fixture everyone probably thinks is going to go one way, which is the Manchester City-Leon game. Uh, what is your prediction for that game? I'm, I'm very old school. Like I like to go back and step back a little bit. And I feel like this is where Leon needs to summon the fact that even though everyone thinks that they are the underdog contextually today, but this Leon team, like Leon as an organization, has played longer in Europe, more games in Europe than Manchester City. So it looks like on paper, Leon's a small team, but they have something to count on, which is they've had experiences at these stages. Manchester City desperately has something to prove. They're the star-studded team, but against a, a team that includes a motivated and an eager to, to remind people Memphis Depay and say, I'm still here, don't count me out. I, I don't think that you can write off Liam. I, 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 I fancy them getting a, a good result, maybe like tying and going to PKs, but I think that they have a chance. Yes, I, 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 you know, I share the same sentiments. I believe Lyon definitely has a chance. Uh, you know, they've done it against Juventus, so they, I believe they can do it again. But the, the, the question is, uh, uh, will they actually do and will they actually go past them? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I think City has, you know, more of a chance here. And, and City has, uh, you know, one of the best passer of the ball in the game right now, which is Kevin De Bruyne. Um, the only thing that could stop them is if Lyon can hold on for 90 minutes and, and, and force them to penalties, which I think uh, at that point, it's anybody's game. And so, but I, I give the edge to Manchester City. Interesting. So the elephant in the room, or do, do we say the dinosaur in the room, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, what are your thoughts? Oh man, I can't wait for that clash. I mean, you know, logic and, and common sense, I would say, says that it is Bayern Munich, but it could also be the time that Messi decides to wake up and take the game by the scruff of the neck. And I think uh, this is a very hard one to say. Um, and, and the only way I can predict here is only by giving percentages of, of who will win. I think Bayern Munich has a 51% chance of winning the game and, and but uh, Barcelona has a 49% chance. And really the only reason why they have that 49% chance is because of Messi. If Messi decides to score a hat-trick that day, no one's going to stop him. And, and, that is the, and that is the problem. But given that Barcelona's defense is so weak, uh, I, think, I think that that really brings them down. And, and that's, that is a problem. Let's not forget, though, um, Vidal will be back for that game. And, you know, if Vidal is in that midfield, everyone is going to be scared. So, but given that case... I. You know, I still give the edge slightly to uh, Bayern Munich. Interesting. And I like your percentages. I mean, just 1% in, in, in terms of favor who, who's the favorite. But I actually think about this. This is Bayern's record since the restart. They have won every game since the restart. They have scored in every game since the restart. And we know Barcelona's story. It's the exact opposite since the restart. So common sense, like he said, points to Bayern having the advantage. And you also said something. You said if Messi wakes up, 
Messi is awake. Messi will try his best to take off, take flight, and win this game for Bayern and for Barcelona. And that's what scares me. If Messi takes flight, nobody can stop him. And I'm afraid. I, I'm afraid. I don't want to go with Bayern. I, I don't like Barcelona winning anything, but this is the one time you cannot ride this team off. I would rather Barcelona be coasting and say they're going to get an upset. But more than ever, they have something to prove. And you just, you just cannot count them out. I'm not going to rule Messi out. I ruled them out against Napoli. I learned my lesson. I'm not going to rule them out. And I'm going to give Barcelona an asterisk and just say 51.99% Barcelona. Actually, 50.99% Barcelona. <laughs> I love I love the precision there. Uh, but real quick, I don't think I actually heard your prediction for the Atalanta PSU game. Uh, uh, do you have a score line or, or percentage for this game? Uh, I leave that open, Bury. I I like Atalanta what they've done this season, but the fact that Mbappe isn't playing kind of like takes off the the galactico that PSG has. I mean, they still have Neymar and a host of others, but. The fact that Mbappe is, is not playing, I think it's not the same PSG. So I'm going to leave that open and let the best team win. The luckiest team win, if that happens. Yes, and for, for people out there, uh, just, just a reminder, Mbappe is in major doubt. Uh, Cavani is not playing. And also Di Maria is not playing. So really, really points to Atalanta here. Um, but let's not forget, Atalanta didn't score much in the last three games of the Serie A. So... That may also affect them, or maybe they'll wake up. I don't know. But it's going to be an exciting game, and I can't wait for it to come. Interesting. A lot of excitement to look forward to. But for now, the exciting part of the show that I'm looking forward to is the random facts of the episode. And what do you have for us? Yeah, uh, apologies to our listeners here. This is a very lazy one, and one that probably everyone knows. But everyone knows Philip Lam, um, the... I would say the the uh, wing back that was converted to a uh, DM for Bayern Munich um, apparently has not gotten a red card throughout his career, which I find very odd for a defensive player. Um, that I mean, I'm sh- maybe there are a few players like that, but it's just an odd uh, uh, thing not to have. I feel like every defender should have a red card. That is interesting, especially for a defender not to get a red card in his entire career. Talks about careful, talks about clean, talks about just playing the game the way it's meant to be. That doesn't mean you, you win when you play like that, but, I mean, he's, he's won a lot. He's seen it in the game, so you cannot take that, take that class off of his resume. But that actually is, I wouldn't say it's coincident, but I think, and this is just me being like rummaging through facts on the internet, I think Gary Lineker, who played for England, might have never gotten a yellow card in his entire career. It was a, it was a forward, a striker. I'm not, I hope that's it, but I know that there was something about him. He might never have gotten a yellow card in his entire career, but it's worth looking up. But I actually like this fact that you shared. Yeah, I think that's a great fact too. And, and I actually will be looking and, and we'll confirm next episode if that is true. Because if it is true, that's a crazy stat. I mean, that yellow card definitely is something that every player should have gotten. Um, and yeah, it would be crazy if, that, if that's a true fact. Yep, yep, yeah. Keep me on next, next episode. 
And that really wraps up the show for this episode. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at ForkOfficialSP. And also you can always find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And send us an email. Let us know what you think about the show. We are on Gmail at ForkOfficialSoccerPodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be your host once again. Thank you and bye-bye.